We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men for Moto, and you're listening to episode 61, NDA, Now Discussing Arena. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me. How are you, sir? I'm handsome. How are you, David? I am uh, bearded again today. Things are good, though. I'm starting to get a little close to bearded myself. I'm going to need to shave. Uh, that's your post-vacation uh, shadow? Yeah, apparently it is. Apparent, yeah, that, that's what's up. So how was your stream today? What did you do? It, stream was actually very good. I did uh, three Masters 25 drafts. Um, 6030. 6030. That felt kind of nice to get back from vacation and be like... Do I remember how to play Magic? Do I remember how to play this format and just smash it? Then I promptly, you know, one would which was fine. And about then, the NDA was lifted on Arena. So I immediately booted up Arena and began playing that. I have a lot to say about Arena, uh, but for the sake of introductions, it's awesome. And it was a lot of fun to be able to play that today. I thought I was going to be playing it uh, tomorrow morning, that the NDA would actually be lifting while we were recording or a little bit after. Uh, but getting to kind of jam four hours of arena this afternoon was fantastic. Yeah, that was quite surprising actually that they were like four hours early with their with their lift. What was also surprising was the number of people that were streaming it and the number of large streamers that were streaming it. Um, I was checking the numbers earlier today and it looked like they almost hit twenty thousand, which for magic during the day is pretty huge. Um, yeah. Magic on Twitch is usually around four to five thousand, you know, at its best during the day. Depends on who's streaming, and then sometimes it gets a little higher at night. But um, th- those are some pretty good numbers and, and pretty promising for arena viewership overall. And a- as you say over and over and over again, this can only be good. Um, all of these people streaming it and all these people playing it. So um, to those of you out there that are in the beta, this podcast this week is for you. Uh, even if you're just interested in an arena and, and maybe hoping to get your beta invite soon, this podcast is for you. Uh, but first, can we just spend a couple minutes on Masters? You said you had some good some good drafts today. Um, I have to admit that I've been enjoying this format a lot more than what I thought I would. I was a little down on the format when we did our review. Um, and, and now that, uh, that I've drafted it a few times, uh, I mean, I spent... How long was I on your stream for the other day? Like six hours? Yeah, we did six hours together. We did a little Men for Moto Live, and that was some of the most fun I've had playing Magic in a while. And then even on Same. my own, like streaming on my own, coming up with janky decks or, or um, you know, talking about drafting assembly workers and never doing it. This format has been a <laughs> lot of fun, and I've done some dumb, dumb things. What's the best dumb thing you've done so far? Well, I was talking about it in the mic check, and I put it on Twitter, but um, I... Uh, I was against an opponent that had a blue-red deck. I was playing blue-red. I tried to force ho- the horseshoe crab combo deck, and I had all the pieces except for all the horseshoe crabs. So I had one horseshoe crab, which I got very late. I was very lucky to get it. But I had things that were like horseshoe crab, meaning I had uh, Freed from Reality, which is a three-mana aura that kind of does the same thing. 
it's got a little bit of upside because you can tap the creature as well. You can put it on your opponent's creatures. And my opponent slammed like a turn six Niv-Mizzet, and I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to beat this. Uh, and then I, I cloned it which, with Vesuvian Shapeshifter. I didn't have the pickle lock combo. I tried to get it. Didn't happen. Um, but the next best thing is copying a Niv-Mizzet, giving it Hexproof, and then putting Freed from Reality on it so that I could untap it four or five times a turn. And then I eventually killed their Niv-Mizzet by drawing four cards in a turn. And uh, I must say, that feels pretty good. <laughs> That's really dumb. It, it's, it was stupid. And then I just drafted the other day. Um, my latest 3-0 deck was a uh, green-white Boggles deck. Um, Boggleless Boggles is what I was calling it. And um, it, it just had Fencing Aces, Lunark Mantles um, for 3-3 Flying Double Strike with God's Willing Backup. It, it was pretty spicy. The two I had today was just a blue-red spells deck with four pyre hounds that actually felt pretty dang good. Um, there was nothing amazing about it. I did manage to pick up two red elemental blasts and two blue elemental blasts for the sideboard, and those were just all-stars to bring in. And it was a deck where I, I've often said I don't play Brainstorm in Limited. This deck was playing Brainstorm. I had two land cyclers and an Ash Barons plus the four pyre hounds. I was like, you know what? If that's not a deck that wants Brainstorm... I don't know what is. So three shuffle effects and then four dudes that are just happy to cast a spell. And it it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I also played a Twisted Image main. And it was fine. Managed to get value out of it when my 3-4 bumped into their 3-4. It was like, cool. After combat, we'll just switch a Rooney. Um, and then the next one I had was the first time I've drafted this, Mono White. Ooh. Um, it ended up being 14 planes, uh, two forests, to activate the, one, any of the three 2-2 uh, guys I got. Stewarts, I was calling them. I can't remember what they actually are. But it's the grizzly bear that pumps for you know three and a, a green. So I just slid a couple of those in there. But yeah, I was using Lunark Mantles. I had two of the Sleepy Dragons to pump the team. There was a lot of good stuff in there. And it was just kind of like super aggressive grind you out. Or take to the skies with Lunark Mantles and kill you that way. A couple of the cards that have come around on me are the... Um the utility lands or, or the um the creature lands in the terms of mishra's factories and um i don't remember who said this the other day maybe it was lsv i was watching his stream and he just you know reiterated the fact that these these lands are good because in a format where um all the cards are quality like there's not a lot of duds in this format just being able to play more of your draft picks is you know just makes your deck better overall and um i had a pendlehaven in my green-white deck, making Fencing Aces 2-3 double strikers instead of 1-1 double strikers. And uh, Mishra's Factory is obviously to turn into 3-3 blockers and just kind of made me appreciate how good those those man lands or the utility lands are. Um, and, and you should be considering maybe picking those a little higher than, than maybe you do currently. So not you, the general you. Um, so I'm learning a lot, actually, just from, from playing this format and watching other people be really good at the format. That's that's one of the things, too, that we can carry over when it's time to draft cube again. Is We're going to have all of the dual lands, all of the creature lands, a lot of utility lands. Value them a little higher and your decks will get better. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's enough on Masters. I'm sure we'll, we'll draft a little more. At least I will. I don't know about you. But uh, from here on out today, it'll be all about Arena. Yeah. So, Travis, for those that don't know what Arena is, I guess you have to be living under a magical rock. What What is Arena, and what does it mean to you in terms of magic? So, Arena is the next digital offering by Magic the Gathering. 
So as far as I can tell in the past, we've done, I, I guess if we want to go real back, we've done Chandelar. But I was going to talk about Magic Online and Magic Duels. And the idea was that these were kind of two different products, right? And we're all familiar with Magic Online. That's how many of you found us here. Many of you have probably also played Duels. I, I tried that. It wasn't for me, but I understand what it did and who it was for and think it served a good purpose. Uh, Arena is kind of doing what duels was trying to do as well as giving us a digital form of magic that's not coupled to paper and by that i mean it's not tied to redemption and that's what has me so excited about it i don't really i know there's a lot of people that enjoy collecting magic cards that's never particularly been my thing i just want to play the game and the fact that we had to do all this trading and i had to you know win packs and trade the packs for tickets and then buy tickets and trade the cards for tickets and just go through all this rigmarole just to get to play always frustrated me. And the price point for Magic Online is is fine, right? Like I've been playing it and not spending any money on it for a while, but it, I think it is somewhat cost prohibitive to new players as they start to play online card games and look at what the cost for entry is compared to Magic Online and some of the other options. They're like, this is crazy. I'd never do that. So like, I think Arena is bridging a lot of those gaps it's giving us a free-to-play magic experience online with updated graphics and sound effects and music. I was impressed with the music today. It was the first time I'd heard the bolus music. I'm like, that was actually pretty cool. Um, but what it means for me is that I'm excited to be playing um, a, a new form of magic digitally that's digital only, not coupled to paper at all. I think what it means to me... So I actually kind of like... Um, having skin in the game. We've talked about this before, but one of the things I yeah. like about Magic Online is that the packs are quote-unquote real and, and the tickets are real. I don't mind paying to play my games, right? Um, you know, I've, I've had a steady job for many years. I don't have student debt. You know, I, my finances are pretty good, generally speaking. You so don't I have to afford, pay for healthcare. I don't have to pay for healthcare being Canadian. I can generally afford to spend my um, discretional income on... Uh, games, right? So I don't mind paying for Magic. That's fine. Um, what what Magic Arena does for me is it gives me an outlet to play casually um, without spending any money. So one of the things that I've, I I always want to do is I always want to explore Constructed, um, but I don't. I never want to put any investment into Constructed because that's taking dollars away from. Um, my limited play, which I enjoy a lot more than constructed. Well, what I can do with Arena is I can flex some deck building skills given a restricted collection size. I can come up with concepts for decks um, that are different than what you would see on the Pro Tour because it's a different format currently in Arena, but also my collection is different. So it's kind of like playing a giant sealed pool. Exactly. Um, in in a in a competitive constructed environment so i can mess around with that and then i can go and recreate those decks out of my collection that i have in my basement so my my daughter and i play and we have a handful of cards not a ton of new cards but it's easy for me to recreate those decks in one or the other she can play the decks we we build in paper online or or vice versa and that's what i'm looking forward to in arena so for me it's another outlet to play the game but it's different than how i enjoy magic online and that's fine. That's a good thing. Um, I do look forward to being able to play limited in arena um, just as another way to play limited. Um, I don't know which I will enjoy more, but I think for now being able to play constructed on arena 
and being able to play limited on Magic Online, I think will be a very good combination for me um, and, and hopefully for the people that watch my stream. Yeah, and I, I don't think I'm done with Magic Online. I just, I'm going to be going obviously very heavy on Arena for the next few weeks. Uh, but once I've, I've played out the format, made a bunch of cards, yeah, we'll go back and draft on Magic Online. And I think that'll be the case for the foreseeable future too. Even when we can draft on Arena, I'm still going to be interested in playing PTQs or checking out the new set on Magic Online. Because you're right, that level of, of competitiveness adds something. Like, I had somebody today make a mistake uh, in Arena and just immediately scoop. Because, like, once you screwed up, why would you keep playing? There's no downside to scooping. Whereas on Magic Online, you screw up, you're going to keep trying. So I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I'm just excited about all of the new people that this might bring to Magic. And, like, honestly, it just looks so cool, and it feels so fun to play. That's not an experience I'm used to getting from Magic to like slam a hazard on the table, watch it scream at the opponent, and then kind of stab them with their little fork thing. I'm like, that was really cool. When they played a Glorybringer and it just breathed fire all over my whole board, I'm like, that was kind of neat because that's exactly what's happening. We're going to die. It does feel a little more epic, and by a little I mean a lot more epic. Um, I'm going to go back and admit that I was wrong when we did our first Arena podcast and we talked about um, we talked about the animations and, and things like that, and I didn't think they were necessary. I didn't think that I would enjoy them, and I do. I do enjoy them somewhat. They're not make or break for me. Like I enjoy the game because it's, Magic is a conceptual game more than an artistic game. I would say it's not like a Subnautica where the world is beautiful and then everything else kind of falls into place around that. Like Magic you know, started for me as just a card game with some decent art and some terrible art on it. Um, but this will help bridge the gap to people that are new to the game, and it will take the epic cards like a Glorybringer or a Hazaret, and it will make them feel important as opposed to just having a mythic or a rare symbol on it, or you have to read the text and get excited over it, right? You, that Those kinds of things are now built into the game, which is good for attracting new players. And I mean, even grumpy old folks like like ourselves you know, we can, we can enjoy that. Um, you know, sh- should we be able to get our over ourselves, I guess, when it comes to that. And I have, uh, so I, I will admit that I was wrong about that and, and that I do enjoy those types of things more than I thought that I would. It just, it, it's flashy. It's cool. Like there's no reason, like our game is everything that you said it was, but it, it's not just a card game. You mentioned the art, but I think it's even more important than that. Like I, I forget what pro it was, but they said they wouldn't care if the cards had, you know, alphabetical names of random strings of letters and numbers, and it was just the text on there and no art, no flavor. And like, no, nah, I need that. I didn't think I needed that, but I recognized that I needed that when we hit some sets where the flavor didn't resonate for me. And I was just like, man, I'm not into it and I don't know why. And then Em and Ket rolled around and I happen to have always loved Egyptian mythology and Nicol Bolas is cool. So like all of that combined, I was like, oh, this is so good. Like, I've got the art for Angel of Sanctions pulled up on my screen right now, and I'm like, that looks so cool, right? And, like, why not make it even better? All it is is taking what we already liked about the game, which was some of the flavor, and enhancing it. So I I, I was a huge fan of that when I first saw it when they were streaming it and now getting to play with it and talk about it some. I'm stupid excited to, to have, like... It feels like I'm playing a video game, David. Mm-hmm. Like, before, it was like I was playing a simulation of a card game... And now I'm playing a video game, and that's cool. 
these things also have the upside of so art and names have the upside of being able to recognize what a card does when you first look at it right so i can read the card opt and i know what it does because of the name opt it doesn't matter what the art is on it or vice versa if i recognize the art you know i don't have to read the card i know what it is the animations and the sounds are just an extension of that so when you look at the game board you can't necessarily see the art um or you know as easy as you could maybe in paper or something like that like maybe the cards are a little small depending on the size of your screen and the names aren't visible at all but the animation if it's an epic card or or the sound that it makes when it enters the battlefield you can have that association between the two so I can be looking at my other monitor and my opponent plays a card with explore and it makes this horn sound like, Hey, I knew that they played a card with explore and I don't even have to be looking at the screen or if they play, you know, like a hazard or something like that. I don't have to read the card to know that it was a hazard. If I miss the card on the stack, I can see the animation as being played and I know that I'm hosed. And that is a good thing. It's just good for the interface. It's good for the interaction it's good for the understanding of the game, and it makes people excited to play, especially newer players. Have you seen a card embalmed yet? It looks really cool. It's so cool. It pulls it out of the graveyard and wraps it up in bandages and then throws it back down as a mummy. It's so awesome. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty cool stuff. The cycling is like it goes on the stack and then like whisks away in like dust or something like that, or like air just like blows away. It looks so like, cool. It It makes you... I don't know. I hate like I hate to say it because it it shouldn't matter, but you're right, it does. But it kind of makes you um understand the concept like the the not the game concept, but like the artistic concept behind the card. So like when you draw cards, right, you're digging into your memory, into your past experiences to to find things that you can do to get yourself out of the situation and cycling is just like, you know, I found something useful, but it's not useful now. I'm just going to forget the memory. I'm going to forget the spell and I'm going to replace it with something else. And that's what this thing like whisking away in the wind is. It's, it's just so cool, right? Yeah, there's some potential here. And, 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 um, and it's, all, it's all upside, I think. Like if, if you don't like the animations and you don't like the sounds, you know, I, I can appreciate that maybe you would wish that there was a way to turn it off. And there is for sounds, but there isn't for animations. But like once you've experienced them once or twice they're kind of just background noise or background animations at that point and nothing really matters at that point so so it's really just upside to capture the people the new players to the game and capture their imagination um and, and then give that extra kind of boost to the interface so that you can recognize what things do without having to read or see the card for example and I'd, I'd say lastly, and then we can move on, there is one other demographic that they're looking to capture with this, and I think that's me, is people who have transitioned. I, I don't play Paper Magic anymore. Like, I'm, I'm thinking Dominaria is cool enough that maybe I'll go try a pre-release, but the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, I don't even know if I want to. I can just wait, play it on Magic Online, uh, and play it here like I'm just I'm not invested at paper in paper at all anymore but I'm very invested in magic I love playing the game I love playing competitively I love playing casually I love talking about it like that's why we do the podcast so like I, I think people who are more and more interested in a, a digital only experience and don't care how close it mimics paper as far as formats go well then this is just perfect for me 
How much did you play in the beta before the NDA was lifted? Probably less than I played today on stream. Okay. I played a lot. I know you did. And I and I was very invested and I and I knew our accounts were being wiped. I knew that none of this mattered. I knew that Ixalan block constructed was not a thing outside of this brief portion of the beta. And I still played the heck out of it. I probably played it daily up until two and a half weeks ago, I think. Maybe when I started playing Cube, maybe three weeks ago. Um, and that, I think, is pretty telling because I have a lot of games to play. My gaming time is split between Magic and streaming, the podcast, obviously, which kind of counts. And then I have like six or seven other games that are on the go. So it's very tough for a game to capture my attention to that length and i think that speaks volumes of how much fun i had playing arena even when i was losing 50 million games in a row playing a, a stupid deck that i should never have built it was it was still fun enough to take up my time from from other games which is which is high praise for a game i think um so so i think that should speak volumes if anybody knows me you know personally that should speak volumes as to how good the arena is currently or at least it was previously and i think it's gotten better with the recent update certainly has certainly yeah. has um i look forward to streaming being able to stream it more um because it's casual and i can kind of quit any time um so i look i look forward to streaming it on off nights or potentially streaming it after i do a draft and i don't want to start another one um, yeah there, there's a lot of potential there so but that that's enough talking about how we enjoy arena um if you the listener are interested in getting into arena um now is the time they've actually announced that they're handing out like a hundred thousand i think or was it ten thousand it was some ridiculous number four or five zeros um beta invites over the next few weeks they were handing them out on twitter today you could just grab a key and go if you were fast enough you can still sign up for the beta so i recommend going to do that those are kind of the two key ways to get in there and you know, if you have a DCI number, you play on Magic Online, you know, your accounts are linked. You used to have priority, quote unquote, priority access to do that. I don't know if that's still a thing, but, you know, I would get your name in there or check out the Twitter and try to get that beta key because they're going to be handing out a ton of them coming up right away. Yeah, get in. Get in and then you can you can play. So now that you're in or you you just got your invite today or something like that and you want to get in, what what should you expect to see in the beta? So, you know, we're going to use this as a guide. We're going to walk you through the first couple of days, the first couple of matches that you're going to do and tell you what to expect and how to make the most of your early Magic Arena experience. So first, we're going to go into the pre-con decks. Travis, what did you think of the pre-con decks? You must have been the first streamer on there. You were in there like 30 seconds after the NDA was lifted. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of waiting for that. Um, I think the pre-cons are, are a wonderful way to start. Honestly, it was almost more than what I wanted because I was excited about that. This is close to sealed with the collection that I have. So I expected them to give you your choice of one pre-con and just giving us all 10, I thought was great. They start you with the collection that you can just play right out of the gate. All of them look at least okay. When I started, I had quests um, and we'll, we'll get into quests and some of those mechanics here in a minute. But my quest was like to, to play black creatures and green spells or something like that. So it's like, well, I'm going to play the black green deck. 
So I just loaded that up so that I could finish the quests. As soon as I'd done that, I started constructing my own deck. I, I don't think any of these are competitive decks that you would take to you know, a standard tournament or anything like that. But they're great ways to start playing, get a feel for some of the cards, have a decent collection, finish a few quests, and get used to the interface and what you're doing. So like, I, I think these are these are all fantastic. I think they're like decks that you would take to a Friday Night Magic if you were new to standard. That's kind of what, you know, you bought like a deck builder's toolkit and you're like, I'm going to build like blue-white stuff and I'm going to put three or four rares in it and then a couple of uncommons and commons where I have multiples of them and put them all together. That's kind of what the decks feel like to me. And that's not a bad thing. That's how a lot of people start playing magic. So it's kind of fitting that that's how you start playing magic on arena. The selection of cards across all of the decks kind of introduce you to all the mechanics. So if you are new to magic, you can, you know, you can play with a bomb, you can play with eternalize, you can see what the differences are there. You can cycle cards things like that. So it's really cool that they have like a wide, a, you know, a, a wide sample of, of all the different cards you can have. Um, I was actually quite impressed that you got decks with actual rares in them. Like there are some some good cards here. Um, again, not necessarily Pro Tour quality rares, but a card like Glyphkeeper, for example, was a limited all-star. And that doesn't mean that it can't be a, an all-star in early days of Constructed on Magic Arena. So it's really cool that you got some powerful cards and, and the decks are somewhat cohesive, but the good thing is, is they leave room for improvement. So if you're not a, a great deck builder, you can use these as a starting point, buy some extra cards with your wild cards, or maybe you get a card or two in your packs, and you can start improving them right out of the gate if you just, you know, start putting three ofs and four ofs in these decks instead of two ofs, and you can you you have a starting strategy, which is really good. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that right now Arena Constructed is its own format uh, that includes only Amonkhet, Hour of Devastation, Ixalan, and Rivals of Ixalan. There's no Kaladesh. There's also no ban list. So, like, I'm, and we'll get into why, but I'm building a mono-red deck that includes Rampaging for Ossadons and Ramanap Ruins, and that's perfectly fine. You're, You're a monster, by the way. Yeah, I am a monster, but I have my reasons, and we'll get into those, too. Um, yeah. Also, what are wild cards and how do they work for anybody that's kind of new here? Where do I get them? How do I use them? Yeah, so the wild cards we talked about before, and they haven't really changed, but the wild cards are how you craft cards that you don't own in uh, in Magic Arena. So you have a couple of ways you can get cards. You can earn cards when you win games. Uh, so they have a... a individual card rewards, I believe they call them, uh, where mm-hmm. every time you win a game, you can win a card of a certain rarity or better up to a certain number per day. I think that's like 30. It's 30. You can also, you can also earn packs uh, either by gold to buy packs or you can win games to to get packs as well. So five games in a week will get you a pack up to three packs per week. So when you open those and you get your cards, that's great. Sometimes you're going to open these cards that aren't cards at all. They're actually wild cards. And what that means is you can actually use that card to purchase craft any card in your any card in 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 magic in in magic arena so cards that you own or cards that you don't own as long as you don't own four of them already you can craft one so if you open a mythic wild card that can be a scarab god that can be vona that can be whatever you want for your deck you just go and craft that card it takes your wild card away from you and now you can use that card so it's a one and done thing you can't just replace it 
You can't just use it for anything over and over and over again. Once you buy your Scarab God, you're done. Um, there was a lot of kind of uncertainty as to how interesting and how good this would be and why can't we just destroy our cards and why can't we just craft things like Hearthstone. I actually really enjoyed how the wildcard system worked um, in the beta before this update. However, at in that update, and, and or sorry, in the previous version, um, there was kind of a, an imbalance of cards uh, or wild cards. Like I was really short on uncommons and I had a lot of commons and it kind of didn't really balance out. So I think they'll be tweaking that as we go. But as a whole, I really enjoyed the system. I really enjoyed being able to target key cards. Like if I knew I wanted to, to get my lands for my green red dino deck, you know, I would spend a couple of wild cards on that and just suck it up that I wasn't going to buy, you know, the next whatever card that whatever rare card that I needed. So it's it's kind of like, you know, you, you go to the your LGS and you have $10 in your pocket and you can either buy that flashy planeswalker over there or you can buy two or three other staple cards instead and you can build your deck around that. So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, and, and I see new players really enjoying that because you can actually quote unquote grind your way to a deck that you specifically want to play. Yeah, and it, it's fantastic. Like the the thing I hate, hated most about Magic Online was trading, and the thing I hated most about Hearthstone was crafting. It was just all this crap I had to do for maintenance before I can start playing. And wild cards eliminate that. I still need to build my deck and decide what I want. But like the best card you can open in a pack is a wild card because it's any card you want. It's great. Could be. A I boat. was. Yeah, it could. I was lucky enough to open two mythic wild cards, so I was like, well. I can build anything I want. Let's get going. Streamer loot. Yeah, can, can confirm I was whitelisted. So we don't know what kind of drop rates there are on these. Um, yeah. They did actually lower the frequency of... Actually, sorry, they eliminated the frequency of the wild cards in the vault. So the vault is also part of this economy on Magic Arena where you open up enough packs. Um, I think it's 25 packs and you get to open the vault. And what the vault is is like you know, hey, you've you've opened enough packs or you've uh, opened up enough duplicate cards that we're going to give you a treasure chest full of loot. And that chest previously was just a bunch of wild cards. They've since, I mean, nerfed is the wrong word, I think. They've since changed the rewards so that you don't actually get a mythic wild card out of it anymore. You do get a mythic card, but it's not anything you want. It's going to be something that, you know, that you do or don't have potentially. Um, and they've also lowered the number of, of other wild cards that you get as well. So so there's that. But you can still get them out of packs, which is good. It's just going to be a bit of a slower rate compared to how it was before. So people that were playing before will see a, a bit of a shift in that. But they've also talked about increasing the number of um, uncommon wild cards you'll get instead, which they did at the end of the previous beta. So, um, so it's kind of give or take there. You'll have to be a little careful of how you spend your mythics and rare wild cards because you're not going to get as many of them. Uh, but I mean, if you have streamer luck, you can just get two out of 12 packs or whatever and, and kind of be happy. Yeah. And bear in mind with all of this, as it goes through, we're in a beta, all of this could change. There may not even be wild cards when this goes live. I, I suspect there will be. I like the system, but like all of this is being tweaked and changed and all of this is stuff you can give feedback on provided you're actually playing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's important to stress is that if you're playing in the beta, the goal of it of it from wizard's perspective is to get as much feedback as possible and that could be passive feedback just by having you play the game and they're going to be watching the numbers they were watch the server results look for any crash logs things like that but they're also looking for active 
feedback, which is where you go to Twitter or email or the, the Magic uh, Arena forums and you give your feedback, constructive feedback, I, I encourage. But if you like the economy, don't like the economy, there's outlets for you to express that. Um, and I recommend, you know, going on there and sharing your option or sharing your ideas, sharing your opinions about these things in a constructive way. And I think you'll see real change if there's something that you don't like. Um, so don't feel like this is just a game and you're going to play it for a week and then be like, I'm done with it. I mean, that's fine if you're going to do that. But, you know, this is a beta. This is testing purposes. And any feedback you give, you know, will just make the product better at the end. So... Okay, so you've logged in, you've got your pre-con decks, you've evaluated, you, you've, you've started to, to, to play the game, maybe you've done your first set of quests and you've opened your packs. What should a new player's approach be when it comes to grinding out or playing the games to get as many rewards as possible so that they can start building the cool decks that they want to do? You've played Hearthstone, Eternal, you know, games like that. So these are all very similar in the free-to-play model. What's your approach to... I don't want to use the word grinding, but that's essentially what it is. How do you earn your rewards quickly enough so that you can start enjoying the game with the deck you want to build? So what's interesting here is in Arena currently, you can't spend money. I cannot go buy packs. I can't buy gems. I can't buy anything. I have to play the game to earn the rewards which is fantastic, and it's great to know that we can do that, and who knows what those final results will be. But right now, it looks like you can get a very good play experience without spending any money. That's great. I, I did that in Eternal. Uh, I played for about two weeks, got a deck I was happy with, took it to a player-run tournament, and uh, top-aided the event, had a blast in that. And I learned something through that process, and it, it's this. In any of these games where they have a ladder or a reward system based on number of wins, you need to build a deck to maximize getting the most wins you can in the time that you play, right? So that means if there's a control deck that has a 65% win percentage, but there's an aggro deck that has a 45% win percentage, but it can play three games in the amount of the time the control deck does, you should be playing the aggro deck if you're looking to maximize your rewards, right? Now, if you're looking to maximize your win percentage, that can actually be very different. You would want to play the control deck. So what I did in Eternal and what I'm planning to do here is build the fastest deck that you can. Build one that will win games quickly or lose games quickly. It, it actually doesn't matter just as long as it's quickly so that you can get through as many as possible. Use that to build your collection. And then when you're ready to enter a tournament or we see what sort of like, and this is far off in the future for Arena, but or, or you just want to try it or play something different, then you can build the other decks that you want that may be slower or take more time. So like, I'm not interested in booting up Arena and starting to play a control deck, because even if it is better, and who knows, this is a completely unexplored format, except for you know a few people today, but even if it is better, it's going to take longer. So I started building Mono Red. I got something as close as I could to what the Mono Red deck looks like in Standard, but I get to add in Ferocidons and Remunap Ruins. Uh, that seems pretty good to me. But I, I bet you could do that with any strategy. It's just like, I, I wouldn't be looking to play a deck with a lot of counter spells and board wipes and card draw, unless that's just super fun to me and that's what I want to do anyway. By all means, do it. But if you're looking to maximize it, you, you want a deck that can win or lose quickly. Yeah, decks that have potentially explosive starts 
Um, it doesn't just have to be mono red, like a, a mono white deck could also do it. Something very aggressive is your key there. Even um, the Merfolk deck can start that way, yeah? I was going to say the Merfolk deck, even though it's not ideal, the version that you start with in your pre-constructed decks, it shouldn't take too much to add to it to make it good. You know, you spend a couple of uncommon wild cards, which you start with, uh, maybe pick up a rare or two, and and you can potentially have some very explosive starts you need some key ones and twos obviously um so you might be behind the curve when it comes to the uncommon wild cards but if that's a deck you enjoy playing anyway that's a deck that can just get free wins very quickly sometimes if you go you know one drop into two drop into two drop plus a lord or something like that on the following turn sometimes you can just steal a win out of nowhere so and that's what your red deck is looking to do as well right you're just looking to jam your on crop crashers and you know kill your opponent on turn five with a open fire or lightning strike to the face so mm-hmm. um yeah and again okay. the, the the reason it's structured this way is because uh, like how how much time do you have and uh, you dear listener have to play this game right it, it could be five hours a day it could be five hours a week either way if you're playing a faster deck you're going to maximize the rewards here as Dave mentioned, every week, if you can get 15 wins, you get three free packs, right? So you want to be able to, to accomplish that as quickly as possible. You can win up to 30 cards per day currently by playing. So if I want to get 30 wins in a day and like, I can do that, I've got plenty of time to play this, but it, you know, m- maybe someone else doesn't. A- again, if, if they're playing that control deck and they're only able to get in three decks, but they win 65% of them, but I can play nine nine games and only win 40% of them, I'm going to have more cards than them over time. So it's it's just about maximizing that. If it's something that you care about, I would still encourage you, play whatever you want, have fun, experience the client. There will be tournaments where win percentage is far more important than number of wins. But right now, all we're being rewarded for is number of wins. So I'm going to go for that first and then we'll build a cool Scarab God deck. The good thing is about how they've done the rewards is they're front-loaded to the first handful of games you win a day. I think it's yeah. four, maybe five, where you actually earn gold that you can spend on packs and you have your quests that you can do. You earn one quest per day. Um, after that, your rewards start to diminish. So if if you have this not-so-good deck, but you can you can commit a lot of time to it, um, you know that's okay. As long as long I think as long as you're hitting that three or four wins per day, you'll be getting a good amount of rewards overall. So so that's great. And then you want to try to make sure you're hitting those 15 wins per week, um, which yeah, I know can be tough for a lot of people, but um, you know, even your first five getting that extra pack, I think will be huge when it comes to, to building your collection. So in, in the previous version, we only had two blocks that we could play, Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan. And it was... The first few weeks were quite a grind to try to get enough packs to try to build your collection up. And that that got a little better over time um, as you started to, um, you know, run out of commons that you could collect. And, you know, you started opening the vault a little more frequently. But with four sets, I think it's going to be difficult to earn four of anything unless you're buying things with wild cards. Um, So, you know... If you're dedicated to this, you're going to want to try to hit those wins every week just to open those packs so you can get those extra wild cards to buy the things that you need. It, it's going to be important if you take if you want to take it seriously. Yeah. So when it comes to wild cards then, and, and you've got all these wild cards there, how do you know 
what to spend on. And this is kind of a new concept here to, as far as magic is concerned, because previously you just go out and buy whatever cards you want. But if, if you know, you have a $10 allowance and you got to go to the store and you build your deck for Friday night magic, how do you know what cards to buy? What, what do you think a, a player's approach should be when it comes to buying cards or build, constructing cards with, with these wild cards early in, in the format, early in the metagame, or if you're just a brand new player to the game? I think what you should do initially is honestly similarly similar to what I did on stream is just sit down and play the game with the pre-constructed decks that they give you and don't spend your wild cards, don't craft anything, just play the game for a little bit. Try out, you know, you don't have to try all 10 of them, but try two or three of these pre-constructed decks that look good to you or that will get you some quests complete and play with them and see what they do. Because your analogy of you've got 10 bucks to spend isn't actually quite right. The Scarab God isn't worth any more than Angel of Sanctions in Arena. It is everywhere else. So it's it's not necessarily that you've got $10. It's that you can get three cards. They can kind of be any three cards you want. So you've got a lot more choice here than you would in that other scenario. But you need to decide what it is that you want. So I think it's important to play the game, get comfortable with the game, and familiar with what you'd like to do in it. Then make a plan. Make that ideal deck list and then sub in the pieces for what you can play for it now, and then just upgrade the most important pieces as you can. Like for me, I had, I think, five uncommon wild cards when I started, and I was like, the most important uncommon for this deck um, isn't Lightning Strike, it's the Oncrop Crashers. I need to make sure I have four of those immediately, or there's no point in playing Mono Red. So identify what those key cards are for the deck that you're playing, and then what replacement level filler you can have. For example, Kari Zev isn't available on Arena, so I can't play those three two-drops from the Mono Red deck. I just took some of the two-drops that I had and figured, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'll focus on upgrading the other cards first. So yeah, I have a 2-1 that pings you when I play a spell. That probably doesn't belong in a constructed-worthy Mono Red deck, but for now, it's filling a spot, and that's fine. We'll replace it when we get there. So that would be the strategy I'd use, is play some games, get comfortable with the interface, then decide what deck you'd like to build towards and then purchase the key cards for it and use the rest for filler. Mm -hmm. I like the approach of, that's a great approach, don't get me wrong, but I like the approach of buying the cards that go in multiple decks. So if you're the type that enjoys playing a bunch of different decks, you'll get a lot of mileage out of buying a card that is just good in all sorts of decks. So for example, a Ravenous Chupacabra pretty much goes in any black deck you play and will probably be played in any black deck you play in the future until the until it rotates out it's that good um cards like lightning strike i think go up in value as well what you also have to look at are cards that play well in the meta um so if there's a meta game that evolves uh, a really good example of that was golden demise where in the previous block constructed when you were playing a lot of merfolk decks, you would just jam a bunch of golden demises in your decks and say, well, now the merfolk decks can't beat me. I win every single time as long as I draw golden demise. So there are different strategies in purchasing those cards. I don't think you need to worry about that this early, um, but buying things like that will be good in the future and that will go in a lot of different decks can be a really good use, of, especially of your uncommon uh, wild cards, because like I said, those were pretty hard to come by at times. Um, and spending those wisely, I think will go a long way. If you like playing a bunch of different decks, if your goal is to just build one amazing deck and play that the entire time, by all means, then, you know, pick out those specific cards and go that way. Um, but I like, I like the cards that are really good. Also the cards that are 
um, that serve multiple purposes. So modal spells, so like a braid might be better than lightning strike to buy first in, instead because of the best of one format and not having a sideboard. You might want to prioritize cards that, um, you know, that you want to, that serve two purposes to put in your main deck as opposed to just one, just the lightning strike. Although I guess lightning strike does go to the face and a braid doesn't. So, you know, th- there's a bit of give and take there, but you should be looking for those types of things as well. That's a really good point, Dave. I, I'm glad that you brought that up. That had not occurred to me that I could technically be building two or three decks or just getting, you know, staples that are going to be good anytime I'm playing that color. And I, I think you're right. Like best of one does really warp what you're doing because you don't get to bring in cool sideboard cards. You're going to have to main deck them. So like they're cycling answers to artifacts and things like that. Those are those are good cards to keep in mind and make sure you have access to in your collection. Uh, Bronta Bro is probably a good bit better. Ancient Brontodon, yeah, the the one green green for a three four with the activated ability one and sacrifice to destroy target enchantment. Yeah, that guy. So that guy was an all star in um in Ixalan block constructed in arena. Um, about halfway or th- two thirds of the way through the format, you s- started to see a lot of these control decks appear that played Primal Amulet, um, Thematic Compass. Is that right? Thaumaturgic um, compass, but yeah. Is that is that how you pronounce it? Okay, I'm terrible at that. Um search for Iskanta, um you know, car- things like that. So you started to play things like Field of Ruin in your deck because it served you know, it, it got rid of most of those, but you also just played Ancient Brontodon pretty much any green deck you played because it had the upside of not being dead against pirate decks or vampire decks, for example, and absolutely crushing the hopes and dreams of you know some control decks when you when you jammed it on turn three underneath the counter spell and your opponent couldn't really play their combo pieces or their control pieces after that um so really look for those the, the downside i don't i really don't like best of one I, I gotta be honest here is that not having a sideboard means that you have to play a lot of these things main deck and sometimes they're good sometimes they're like a braid where it's really good or sometimes they're like uh brontodon which is pretty good but other times you're going to end up with these like dead main board main deck cards that you can't really do anything about or else you just kind of fold to different decks. So Golden Demise is a really good example of that where, you know, I started playing decks that had two or three Golden Demises when everybody was playing Merfolk. And the problem was, is then people stopped playing Merfolk. And it's like, okay, now great. Now I have these dead cards that don't do anything against the Explorer decks or the Dinosaur decks or the Pirate decks or anything. And it's like, well, what do I do? Do I take them out? And then just accept to the fact that I'm going to fold to Merfolk most of the time. Or do I leave them in? You know, or do I only put one in my deck? And then when I play against Merfolk, I have to knock the top of my deck and hope that I draw it, right? It, <laughs> it, it really changes the dynamic of how you build your deck. And these modal spells or the cyclers are really good for that. Um, go up in value. Like not having a cycler um, to destroy target enchantment or artifact meant that I had to play Naturalize or Brontodon, right? And and both of those are good, obviously, but I don't want to play Naturalize if I can play a Cycler instead. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that Best of One does leave some things to be desired from Magic players' perspectives. However, I have played other digital card games that used a format similar to this, and it has some advantages. There's no time lost between sideboarding. The games finish much quicker. Um, and it it does create a meta where exactly what you're discussing happens, right? Like everybody's playing Merfolk, 
So some people start playing Golden Demise. So nobody's playing Merfolk. So nobody plays Golden Demise. So people start playing Merfolk again. And it gets you kind of this neat ebb and flow. And I've seen that in other digital card games. I suspect that in the future we will have sideboarded games, tournaments, and cool events like that in Arena. So like if if, if you're you know getting bent out of shape because it's not here... Don't stress, man. Again, we had Magic Online and for 20 years, and it wasn't until five years ago that Black Lotus was added to the game. It can take a while for some of this stuff to get done, but I, I think there's some advantages to this too, and it does give us an, an interesting, unique digital-only format with a digital-only metagame. That's what I've wanted from the beginning. The other thing, and I just want to keep talking about the best-of-one format because I think it does change some of the key concepts uh, that we know and love from best of threes. And I think one of them is mulliganing. Yeah. Mulliganing in a best of one, like going to six or less cards, feels so much worse than it does in a best of three. And and it, and it sucks because, you know, you look at your, your two land hand and you're like, oh man, if I draw a third land, this hand is great. And in constructed in a best of three, you know, you might say, well, this hand doesn't do enough. I'm going to mulligan knowing that if I get unlucky this game, I still have two more games that I can win, right? Or I'm up a game and it's game two. You know, the only time really that comes into play, I guess, is when it when it's game three. But, you know, generally speaking, you don't let that bother you as much. I've found that when I was playing a best of one, if I went to six, you know, or I kept a sketchy hand, I felt a lot worse about it because it was a best of one. Now, the upside is, is that these wins don't mean anything, right? Like you can just scoop them up and go to the next game and you you don't lose anything. There's no, there's nothing of value on the line for the loser. Only the winner gets value out of this, except for experience, I guess, or the enjoyment of the game. But it still sucks to have to mulligan in a best of one. Now, that means that you, do you construct your deck differently? Do you skew the number of lands that you put in? Or do you put more cyclers in, for example? I think that is yet to be seen because we've just got a whole bunch of new cards and we haven't experienced this format yet. Um, but one of the things that they do do, and, and I don't think they've changed <laughs> this, but you said do do, I did say do do. One of the things that they do is they actually, um, behind the scenes, give you a slightly better hand than what you would normally expect if you were just drawing seven cards. And, and from what I understand, how they do that is, is they take two opening hands and then they give you the one with the better land distrib- distribution of lands and spells based on what you should get as an average out of your deck. So people have actually looked at gaming, gaming, quote-unquote gaming, the system is finding the optimal number of lands to play for um, for the different types of decks. And I don't remember what they came up with. I think it was like 22 for uh, aggressive slash mid-range decks and like 25 for uh, control decks, for example. And the difference is, is like how often do you draw opening hands with two lands and how often do you draw opening hands with three lands? So you can, you know, behind the scenes magic arena is trying to help you get through that and not have to mulligan as as often because it is a best of one it still sucks to have to mulligan it does but like you said the upside is colossal like i lost some games today and i started to get that oh man that was close like i lost a game by one point today i was like oh man that was close i lost and then i realized i lost nothing Mm -hmm. i lost a game it's okay it was really close and it was fun and it was cool and it was neat to play the glory bringer and see it breathe fire. But in the end, it doesn't matter. I just click the button. I can play again. Yeah. And I think the onus is on the player to get the most out of that experience. So if if you're not scraping or sorry, if you don't 
if you want to scrape for every point of damage and try to try to eke out every single percentage point like we do when we're playing for for stakes on magic online you can still do that and if you want to give up after you know you mull the five and you don't want to try to 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 play through that game and you just kind of want to scoop them up and go to the next one and you don't care about your rank you can do that too and that's good because my enjoyment of, of that of trying to scrape out every percentage point does not impact somebody else's enjoyment of just going on to the next game and, and who cares i mold the five i'm not going to play this game i'm just going to scoop them up yeah yeah it's so, kind of the best of both worlds you get to pick what you enjoy and and enjoy it to its maximum Pick what you like and do more of that. Yeah, sounds great. I can play. More, I can play more Magic. I like it. So, anything else you want to talk about Arena, or should we wrap it up there? I, I could talk about Arena for another hour, um, but I, I will probably have more to say next week after I've gotten another forty hours in the game, and I'm excited to put that in. Like, I cannot wait to stream this all day tomorrow and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and and then we'll talk some more. I'll have broken the format by then, too. Uh, you might have already broken the format, but the meta will shift to adapt to your aggressive one, twos, and three drops. They can't beat my Ferocidons, man. It was banned for a reason. It was banned for a reason. And your yeah. Ramanap ruins. That's right. I get both. I, I feel an all-uncommon challenge coming on, and Mono Red wins that every single time. Yeah. It's going to be all fun. Right. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope we got a bunch of new listeners based on uh, the people that are interested in Arena and that don't necessarily play Magic Online. Uh, so for those of you that are new, Travis, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Simulan. Uh, like I said, we'll be doing a lot of Arena. Fear not if Magic Online was your thing. I will still be playing that. We're going to check out the new cube when it comes back, but my focus is going to be very much on Arena uh, for at least the next... Eight- two weeks and probably foreseeable future from there. This game's really cool. Uh, you can also catch me on Twitter. I'm at Simulan. I am uh, twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. And that's Twitter of the same. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at men from Moto. Uh, we tweet show notes and, and things like that there. So give us a follow there. Also, if you are interested in supporting your favorite creators, that's us, Cough Cough. Um, you can, you can check out our men for moto Patreon, which is patreon.com slash men for moto. Once again, thanks to mana deprived and face to face games.com. Hopefully they don't kick us off the site because we're not talking about magic online anymore. I'm sure they'll be okay with it though. So check them out. If you're looking for singles or other magic content, there's a ton. Have you been on the new mana deprived website? There yeah, it actually a- looks really cool. There's a ton of content on there. They've got videos, podcasts, articles. It's not just your source for Canadian magic. It's your source for high-level magic across the board. And then there's us. Yeah, us too. And we're also here. And we're also here. Um, Oh, by the way, I was on the the First Strike podcast this week. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. That That's awesome, dude. I think think KYT was looking for you, and he's like, well, I get the next best thing, which was me. There's probably... A lot of levels of the next best thing between you and me, right? Yeah, you think that like he went and asked a bunch of people and everybody turned him down because they were busy. And then he's like, oh, this Dave guy, I see him on Twitter. Let's ask yeah. him. That that must have been it. I think I went on and talked for like 10 minutes about Masters, which is kind of funny because I'm not the expert on Masters, but I like to play one on TV. <laughs> I'm glad you got to be on the podcast, man. They're good people. They are good people. But anyway. We're going to wrap it up there. So thanks again for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Adios.